Hey Anna, remember that time it was hard to be the bard? that time in historical podcast i'm your host anna webb and i'm your host amanda webb this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history hello hello exciting new development i have a new recording setup <laughs> that's Ooh, awesome ah. i do too but it's makeshift because <laughs> i'm moving soon so my apartment is full of boxes and my usual space is uh not accessible. <laughs> yep. Well, my partner is about to move into a dorm, and so is leaving a bunch of their stuff with me, which means I get big fancy computer and microphone because it fits better in my home than it will in their dorm. So Ha-ha. this is either going to sound much better and going to be a great setup or going to totally crash on us. We'll see. We'll see. Who knows? Who Could knows? An adventure. <laughs> Well, before we get into it today, would you like a drink update? I would love a drink update. I am having Trader Joe's Sparkling Pineapple Juice Beverage, one of my new favorites. That sounds delightful. Mm -hmm. I'm having water because I'm already worried about the new setup crushing. I like couldn't risk it with (laughs) not drinking water. Yeah. No curses today. I had to really, yeah, I had to really uh, commit to to just having the water. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. I had an, um, just FYI, it's evening when we're recording right now, and I did have an afternoon coffee today, which I usually don't do. Mm-hmm. So, you know how last time I was, like, fevered and kind of in a daze the whole time? I think today might be the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just like, look out. high energy, like, wired. Let me tell you something. I don't remember a single bit of the last episode. <laughs> oh, my God. That's really funny. I, like... As I was, I remember that as I was hosting and reading my notes, I was like comprehending what I was saying for the yeah. most part. I had a couple of slip ups that I was like, huh? Um, but for the most part, I got through it pretty well. I kind of feel like maybe you can hear me like just trying to get through it, like kind of rushing through it. I don't know. I haven't listened back. I don't think so. I, I hope it made sense because, a, you know, a couple days after we finished recording, I was like, I don't remember anything I said. Not a single thing. Cool. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, um, I have been helping my best friends and my partner move for the last week. Um, so, like, I'm not fevered sleep deprived, but I am, like, incapable of talking and moving. So this is going to be fun, I think. Great. Yeah. Great. We're just We're setting like, a really interesting tone for the podcast. Yeah. We're, and, and, well, and it also helps that this particular topic is one that both you and I are major nerds about. So, like, yeah. I think this is going to be kind of buckwild. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. So this week, we are doing The Bard of Avon, William Shakespeare. The man himself. The man, the myth, the legend. Um, Our man, Billy Shakes. Billy Shakes. Um, the, the thing about William Shakespeare is that 
there isn't a ton of like confirmed historical registries or documents or whatever yeah. about his life. There so, were almost no records kept about him personally. Right. So yeah. I have done the best I can to piece together what information we do have. Um, it might be just a little bit scattered and out of order. Um, I, you find when you're studying Shakespeare that you spend most of your time like with the individual plays, studying their history, right? So yeah. the period it was written in and what it was based on and what the influences were and stuff. And like that we could fill an episode with, but that's not what it's really about. So right. we're just going to kind of pick our way through um, his life and we'll talk a little about some speculations about like maybe the type of person that he was. Um, and that's kind of the most we'll get into it. So this might end up being either like a shorter one because there's not a ton of information about him or just terribly, horribly long because Anna and I won't shut up. Like there's kind of no <laughs> yeah. in between here, I think. I think that I'm going to know more of this than I do about a lot of your other topics. Yeah. Because while there isn't a lot known about Shakespeare, there is a lot I know about Shakespeare. Exactly. Because I had a, a teacher in nine. I don't know. High school was a long time ago for me now. Um, I had an, a high school English teacher who was obsessed. Yes. With Shakespeare. And we also and both taught me a lot of these things. And we also yeah. both shared a college professor who was like incredibly knowledgeable about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like it's, the, that class was a lot more about like you were talking about before, like the history. The of works. The yeah. Yeah. But um, she was very knowledgeable. Yeah. Is. So we're just going to go. And if you find something I miss or something you want to add, jump in. Now, um, OK, to be fair, it has been many, many years since yeah. I read most of these things. So I yeah. probably won't catch anything. Yeah. I don't want to um, set like, myself before- up. I decided to do this episode. I had to like make sure Anna didn't want to because yeah. we both are nerds about him. So yeah, I sh- I saw a play this week, so I was like, oh, he'd be a fun one. Um, yeah, and we're keeping it in England. Yeah, I do remember yes. that about the and, last one. And, and, a, and almost the same time period. He's a Close. little before our last one, <laughs> our last episode. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it then. Let's do it. We spent a lot of time talking about talking about him, so let's just talk about him. <laughs> God. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, um, William Shakespeare is born to John Shakespeare and Mary Arden in Stratford-upon-Avon. Now, he is baptized on April 26, 1564. So, uh, this is another one where we don't technically know his birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very widely believed and generally, like, accepted that he was probably born three days earlier on April 23rd. Right, based um, on when people were typically baptized after their birth. Yes, and also, because we'll get to this, his death date helps with yes. that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 100%. He is the third of eight children, but his two older siblings died as infants, so that makes him the oldest surviving child. Through most of his life, he is the right. oldest child. Um, this is so weird because now I have a big computer above me and Anna is on the computer below me. So I feel like <laughs> I'm looking down looking at her as I'm taking notes. It's weird. You don't have to look at me. That's okay. You know I know, I but like. I know. <laughs> um, so his mother is from like a rich land owning family. Um, and his father is a glove maker and he's also a member of the local council. So his family has status in their town. Um, glove maker. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, delightful. Um, so it's believed that he probably attends the grammar school in Stratford, which is the King's New School, from when he's like 7 to 15. 
And again, that's not based on any records, but just based on um, knowledge of his status. Like if he right. was in that class of people, he would have gone to uh, grammar right. school. Unless there were some like very specific circumstances that kept him from doing that. Right. But we don't know because there were no records of it. Right. But also the fact that he grows up to be a writer tells you that he also is likely that he received at least a semi-formal education to be able to have knowledge to do that, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really any other records of his childhood or, like, about the type of kid he was or, like, anything like that. Um, we kind of just skip from, like, school years to adulthood. So the next Gosh. record we have about him is that in November of 1582, when he's 18 years old, he marries Anne Hathaway, who is 26 years old. Whoa. Role reversal. I know. That's so what I was rare. thinking the whole time. I was for like, us. oh my God. It's so rare for us to have the woman who is older. Um, yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and this is probably why it's kind of weird that they had this marriage with this age difference for the woman is because the marriage gets rest because she's pregnant. So it seems like maybe he got her pregnant or was maybe covering well, from someone yeah. else. But it seems most likely that he got her pregnant and then they had to yeah. get married. Um, so they have their first child, Susanna, six months later in May of 1583. And then two years later in 1585, they have twins, mm-hmm. a boy named Hamnet and a girl named Judith. And Hamnet dies in 1596 when he's 11 years old of an unknown cause. There's no record of what he died of. Um, very important, though, to his life. That's yes, very exactly. important to his life. If you'll notice I mean, that you name. Might notice, yeah. Hamnet. <laughs> yeah. He, was, um, he really thought he was being sly. Yeah. He was like, no one will know. <laughs> How are they going to know? Be? How would they know? How would they know? How would they know? <laughs> Um, so as if there already wasn't very much information about his younger years, this <laughs> next period of his life is actually known as the lost years. That is so um, funny to me. Cause it's like lost from what? Lost from what? Historical record, I guess. Like, but like from where there wasn't yeah. that much to begin with. Yeah. Um, it, but it's basically just cause there's no historical records of like relating to his life or his activities during this time. Um, it's from like 1585 when his, twins are baptized to 1592 there is no mention of him in any historical record so people don't really know what was going on with him um there are rumors and stories right so like one story is that he um has to flee stratford because he got in trouble for poaching deer um so he like moves to london because of that um there's another story that says he moves to london and um starts tending for horses for theater patrons and that's like what gets him into working in the theater um the most widely accepted story is that he was probably a school teacher for several years um there's like a local record that has like a william shake something like it's a different Slightly different surname. Like a shortened version, probably. Or, or a misspelling or something right. like that. So um, it wasn't a super, like, it wasn't a crazy uncommon last name. So it could have been a different person. Um, but it would make a certain amount of sense that he would spend a few years as, like, a school teacher. Like, that doesn't yeah. seem out of the ordinary for the line of work he ends up with or but anything like fair, that. But to be fair, all of those theories don't sound absurd. 
Yeah. The deer poaching awful. is kind of the most far-fetched. Sure, but even that, it's like... It's not yeah, okay. odd. Yeah. It could have happened. Um, I only think that one's kind of... Seems not very reliable is because he ends up spending a lot of the rest of his life in Stratford still. So, like, if he had to, like, flee because yeah. he got in trouble... Not yeah. to say he couldn't get out of that, but that seems less likely to me. It see it seems more like a myth that someone made up than yeah. the other ones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we do know though that he begins his writing career sometime between eighteen fifty eight and or nope. sorry, I'm gonna just state <laughs> the whole thing again. Um, we do know that he does begin his writing career sometime between fifteen eighty five and fifteen ninety two. And the only reason we know that is because in 1592, um, there's another playwright in London, Robert Greene, who, like, attacks him in print. Um, So we know that he is at least as established enough to have an enemy, I guess, by that point. Um, So there's some evidence that he had at least two or three plays, like, in the circuit by that Mm -hmm. point. Um, Yeah. most of his works aren't dated. We don't know exactly when they were written. We know, like, rough periods. And so, like, the first, his earliest plays are believed to be Richard III, all three parts of um, Henry VI, um, The Two Gentlemen of Verona, and uh, Titus Andronicus. I'm not big on the histories. Me either. Um, but <laughs> but that's, that is what he started on. Uh, yes. I'm going to come back after a little more uh, talking about his time in London to talk a little more about the plays. Sure. Um, because there's just no way to track when each play is written. I'm just going to talk about his time in London for a little bit, and then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the plays. Right, yeah. Um, but, but it is important to note that his early works were mostly – the histories, and that yeah. was, like, what was in the circuit during this the start of his career. Right. Um, he also, in, fi- in 1593 and 1594, has his first two narrative poems published. So it's his first work in print. Um, and that's Venus and Adonis and The la- the Rape of Lucrece. Is that right? Lu- Lucrece. Lucrece, or I don't know. I have no, no idea. Lucretia. Lucretia. That's the name Lucretia, I would say. Oh, okay. Um, but those are those are his first printed, published works. And they're also his only two narrative poems that get published. He writes other poems, but they're the only two that get right. published in this nature. Um, um, so the plague in London causes theaters, one of the plagues. <laughs> right. Not plague. the capital, not the capital plague. P plague, but one of the plagues yeah. that sweeps through um, causes a lot of theaters in London to be closed on and off during nineteen or fifteen ninety three and fifteen ninety four. It's all too close. We I just hate can't it. get the years right. I today. can't do it. I can't do it. I told you, my brain it's non-existent. Um, yeah, so so that's like probably why he was getting other works published during that time because the theaters were consistently open, so there wasn't consistent work. Um, but after that particular plague kind of passes. Um, Shakespeare and a group of other actors and writers form the Lord Chamberlain's Men. Very um, famous. Yes, there's a, they have a sponsor, Lord Chamberlain. Yep. Um, and oh, yeah. Is that something we should talk about? Like the theater troops and how... Yeah, go, go ahead and say, this? talk about that a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. So the way that it worked back in these times was that there would be 
like theater troops, which were basically groups of you know actors and writers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they would get a sponsor who would basically pay them to put on their plays. Mm-hmm. And typically they would travel around. Um, not always. Some of them would like play out of one theater or whatever, mm-hmm. but often they'd travel around. Um, and, you know, the sponsor was usually just some rich person. Right. Because there was no public fund for the arts. So right, right. all it was was several rich people sponsoring a bunch of different theater troops. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they form Lord Chamberlain's men. And he regularly writes about two plays a year for this group for the remainder of his career. Right. Um, so for like 20 odd years, he. Yeah. He, it's, will he write, cranks uh, out a lot of plays. Yep. Yeah. It's rough. It's roughly two plays a year. Is, is My the, big old Shakespeare collection will prove it, although it's yeah. packed away now. So I can't. Yeah. <laughs> can't oh, mine's out. And it's. Look at it. Large. <laughs> I've already packed up the books, which is proving sure. to be annoying. <laughs> Um, Shakespeare, like, splits his time between London and Stratford. I, there's not, like, any real reason why, aside from maybe he just didn't really like living in London very much. Um, which could be understandable. Yeah, I can't, I think his family stayed in Stratford also, if I remember. Yeah, I don't think his wife came to London with him. No. So he would go back and see the, the kids, I think. Yeah. I know. I think that's right. Um, in 1597, he buys one of the largest homes in Stratford called New Place. Um, and that fact is sort of gives us the evidence that he is becoming pretty wealthy through his writing. Right. Um, like that he's successful and um, people enjoy his work and that it's it's paying. Just his, not his super work typical is paying. No, it's not. Playwright. Not at all. No. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is just a little fact. I like his company often performs for Queen Elizabeth the first. Yes, and very um, famously, yeah. she was like the reason the arts survived because yes. a bunch of Puritans wanted to close all of the theaters, and she was a patron of several theater groups. She had a group called the Queen's Men, right. um, and she would like go and visit theater troops to make sure that the arts stayed alive, basically. Well, there's a reason when you think the Elizabethan age, you think of the arts. It's because she really kept them going. Mm-hmm. Big time. Um, so she she seemed to really like his plays. He didn't seem to have a very strong opinion on her one way or the other. Like, he never really wrote about her. And she, like, didn't really ask him to write. Like, she didn't make specific requests very often to him. And he never wrote her an epitaph when she died. So, like, he either, like, really didn't like her or just didn't care one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I should say, I think what we're getting at here is that it's not super common for, like, the monarch's favorite writer because he basically was, right? Mm-hmm. Or he was to, at least up there. <laughs> yeah. To not write something for or about that monarch. Yeah. Usually at the monarch's request. Yeah. So the fact that she did not request anything from him, first of all, is kind of abnormal. But also the fact that he never wrote about her uh, specifically or in a way that was widely recognizable. Yeah, there are like was two also total references to her in his plays. Right. Yeah, it's right. a weird, It's it seems like, uh, it, you know, obviously, again, we don't have any specific refer- references, but it seems like he maybe had something against her, like maybe didn't I don't know. really like to her, me, or... 
to me, it kind of seems like she valued the work that he brought to the table and therefore didn't impose herself on it. Sure. That's kind of what it seems like to me because sure. Elizabeth is different from a lot of other monarchs um, in a lot of ways, like which we have talked about before mm-hmm. on the podcast. Um, I just kind of understanding her personality a little bit, I'd be willing to bet that she was just happy to let the art lie. Sure. And he was happy with that arrangement. Sure. Because he did not want to be forced to write anything specific. That's not how he worked. Yeah. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't work off of somebody commissioning something to him and saying, write this thing about me or for me. It's just not how he operated mm-hmm. so he, kind of to me always seemed like this like symbiotic relationship where they just kind of let each other lie right, right? yeah and we'll, we'll come back to this later he did a little bit of private writing like a lot of his sonnets sure. were were written sure. or hi, for hire or whatever but um as a but playwright not as not much. not as much no right no um so in 1599 uh, so, uh, some of the Chamberlain's men come together to build their own theater. So they were like having a bunch of problems with the landlord of their theater. And there's like lore that they like took down the boards of that theater and used it to build a new theater. <laughs> yes. um, so they build a new theater uh, on the south bank of the River Thames, uh, which they named the Globe. And yes. Julius Caesar is the first play to be performed there. That's a... That's a monster of a piece. That's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> um, in 1601, his father, John, dies. And Shakespeare inherits the family home in Stratford as well. So he's got, like, some land and some property at this mm-hmm. point. Um, in 1603, after Queen Elizabeth's death and the start of King James's reign, Lord Chamberlain's men come under the patronage of King James instead, and they become the king's men. Hmm. Um, Again, pretty famously, (laughs) they are the king's men, you know? You know, all the king's horses, all the king's men, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They just couldn't put Humpty together again, you know? They tried. Yeah, they did try. Uh, In 1607, his oldest daughter, Susanna, gets married, and the next year she has a daughter, Elizabeth, and this is the only uh, grandchild of Shakespeare to be born in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. So she will have other children. Um, Judith, I don't think, ever has children. Um, I don't think so. But this is the only grandchild he gets in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and his mother, Mary, dies in 1608 that same year. Um, also in 1608, the King's men begin a partnership with the Blackfriars Indoor Theater. Um, so they now have two locations. In the warm months, they perform outside at the Globe. And then in the cooler months, they perform indoors at the Blackfriars. That's, and, uh, that's the perks you get when you're the King's players. Yes, indeed. Sure. <laughs> um, and it also, like, allows Shakespeare to put some, like, cool stunts in some of his plays. Yes. Because yeah. they have the advantage of being able to use that indoor theater and, like, smoke and mirrors some stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, cause, it Which creates a different atmosphere. Shows, yeah, and the outdoor shows the smoke and mirror stuff. The audience kind of just has to be like, yeah, oh, yes, of course. Oh, That's yeah. how that, yes. Okay, yeah. I see. But there's, like, <laughs> you know, references to stage directions of things being, like, lowered from the ceiling. They can't mm-hmm. do that in the outdoor theater. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So that's the biggest chunk of information we have about um, his life while living and working in London. Um, we're going to touch on a couple other life things in a minute, but we can just pause for a second to talk a little bit about his plays. Yep. Great. So throughout his life, Shakespeare writes 38 plays total. That's wild. It's so yeah. many plays. <laughs> yeah. So it, many. It, that's and that's 38 plays in, a, in about 20 years. So they're not short. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's when we were saying that he averaged about two a year. That's pretty, pretty that's accurate. Yeah. Um, most of his early works are histories and tragedies. Um, his early histories are largely based on information from the 1587 edition of Raphael Holinshed's Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland, mm-hmm. um, which maybe sort of indicates to us roughly a start date of his writing because his first piece... Right is largely believed to be Richard III. Um, doesn't mean that it is, but that's what most people think it is. Um, and so that is based on the information in that book. So he right. probably started writing after 1587. Sure. Um, almost all of his histories rely really heavily on that text. And a lot of, most of his histories are talking about the Tudors and how they came to power. Yes. Um, so that's where he gets a lot of that. Um, a lot of his comedies are based on either, like, really common folk stories or, like, Italian romances. Yes. Um, as what he pulled a lot of his his source material from. A lot of people make a big stink, and we'll talk about this more in a second, about, like, none of his plots being original. But that was true of everyone at this point. Like, yeah. they are all pulling from the same various source materials and yeah. writing them for an English audience. That's just, yeah. like, what was happening. Of course it was. At the time. Of course it was. It's not like they had all this other stuff to influence their media like we do now. Yeah. And frankly, okay, if we're going to talk about unoriginal, don't act like our content now is original. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. always gets me. I'm like, okay, and everything that we watch is based mm-hmm. on his stories. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. So like, <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on. Um. His later years, he writes some more tragedies. A lot of his most famous tragedies come in the later years. Like I like the tragedy. Othello and King Lear and Hamlet are all later. Um, a lot of the romances come later. And then my favorite is the uh, the term tragicomedies. Oh, I love the tragicomedies. Which has also been sort of termed the problem plays. Yes. Um, there's like four of them. And it's because nobody can really pin the genre of them. So like... The, the example I put here was All's Well That Ends Well. Um, it, it, it goes back and forth between genre a ton, which I think he does a lot in most of his plays. I think so, too. I, I think people, um, people don't recognize it in his other plays because they don't understand the comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not as obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of Hamlet is funny. Yeah, a lot you of know? Hamlet is funny. It's all wordplay, and it's right. Hamlet making fun of other people, and yeah. Yeah, well, and there's so much, like, camp in his yes. tragedies that people don't, you know, so. Yeah. Well, my my favorite Shakespeare play is Much Ado About Nothing, right. um, which I think is is his funniest work, period. I, I think, think it's, so, too. I think it's the funniest thing he wrote. Um, it also has one of the most touching bits of tragedy in the middle of it. Yes. It's genuinely sad. The yeah. sad scenes are like when Hero is rejected at her wedding and then when the when her dad is like yelling at her. That is 
real genuine, like, sad yeah. moments. And, but people don't yeah. consider that tragedy because it doesn't follow the formula. Yes. Like, quote, unquote, tragedy in the literary sense. Yes. Right. Yes. So there's a lot of, like, mixing and... You know, yeah. it takes a lot of studying Shakespeare to understand the real content of Shakespeare. It absolutely does. Oh, yeah. We went to see it. So there's a, um, a a West Virginia company that only tours West Virginia. There's Shakespeare company that only tours West Virginia, which we have never had before that I'm obsessed with. Um, they're called the Rustic Mechanicals, if you want to check them out. They're awesome. Um, and they were here doing a show. They did um, Love's Labor's Lost. And I went to see it with my friends. Um my partner and one of my friends are both theater people. And then another one of my best friends is not a theater person, does not understand it at <laughs> all. And I watched her have no idea what was happening the whole time. And I was just sitting there being like, this is delightful. You know, like it ta- it does take a little bit of time yeah. to, to understand it. For sure. Um, so he, he wasn't the sole writer on all of his works. He collaborated on some of his plays. His last two plays, Henry VIII and The Two Noble Kingsmen, um, both he wrote with John Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am sure you are aware of this and probably most people are anymore. Oh, yeah. There is a ton of conspiracy and whatever about whether or not he was the actual author of all of his plays. Yeah. Um, no original manuscripts exist um, of his works, Uh just because that wasn't really, they were written to be performed and then they were gone. Like that was not, they right, were not, not written like to he, be preserved anymore. Like they are now. preserve them as he wrote them. He would write a copy or two and then they'd get copied again and given uh-huh. to actors. And that mm-hmm. was how. And, and there were a handful that, we'll talk a little more about this later, that got published, but it was like not by him or from a manuscript. It was like somebody's copy of a copy of it or written from memory and then it was printed wrong so they weren't really good translations of the yeah, story. I think I think people expect that like a playwright like this what they picture in their head is someone who believes that his works will be read forever. Yeah. That was probably not his intent. Shakespeare did not think that we, I would be taking a full course in college on his writing. Yeah, exactly. Like he was a playwright. He was just doing his job. (laughs) Yeah. So some people, it's another thing. This is just a thing anymore that people find it hard to believe that one person could do everything that he did and be as great as he is. So it's like the, it's like the Helen Keller effect that yeah. young people are having now where they can't, they just can't believe that one person did all of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that one person was that genius or came up with all of those new words and phrases or was that funny. Like, people can't believe it. But it's like we see examples of people like that all the time. Yeah, like, I know. So um, people just crank out work, you know? It, just mm-hmm. because you don't think you could do it <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean that somebody else couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure you've heard the names of some of the, uh, the uh, other people who people oh, say yeah. might have been 100%. Shakespeare or whatever. So, like... Francis Bacon, Christopher Marlowe is a really big one because Christopher yeah. Marlowe was his contemporary and also kind of his, like, rival. Um, yeah, which is wild to me that people think that he wrote those plays. It's like they don't write. They're, and they're not the same. I <laughs> the might do an episode on Marlowe sometime because he's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and Edward de Vere, who's the 17th Earl of Oxford, those were the other believed ones. Um, there's very little actual proof of these theories and most academics agree that the 38 that are accredited to him are his or were co-authored by him. Right. Um, 
that, it's a pretty distinct style. Right? Yes, like, and yeah. it's a very distinct use of language mm-hmm. that. You know, th- there's a reason we call it like Shakespearean English. It's because yeah. no one else wrote like that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I just find those so absurd. I mean, I yeah. get it. I get questioning it, but like, mm-hmm. come on. But that's kind of been accepted as the canon of his works, yeah. right? It's yeah. like those 38 plays. Um, he also acts on and off during his career in London. Um, it's believed that he usually played at least one role in each of his plays. Uh, most famously is that he's supposed to have been the ghost of Hamlet's father in Hamlet. Right. Which is because right. he's Ham- he was Hamnet's, Hamnet's father, father. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, it, whether or not that's true, who knows? But that's kind of become the like lore, right? Like yeah. that that historically he played that role or whatever. Um, but there is actual evidence that he did act because his name appears in programs from different plays by different authors. So right. you have to imagine if you're in that circuit, you have to be doing both a little bit. I don't know. Imagine having time to act and also write as much as he did. Yeah. <laughs> that, seem, that seems wild. Yeah. That seems like an absurd work, work ethic to me. But. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1609, Shakespeare publishes a collection of 154 sonnets, and they're I just published the as the sonnets. Yeah, I love the sonnets. Um, he did, like we were saying before, he did write sonnets for private readers throughout his career. So it's believed that this collection was probably slowly written over several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're split into two series. Um, one for the love of a married woman who is called the Dark Lady. So there's like 26, I think, to I her. Think so. And all of the rest are for the love of a young man called the Fair Youth. That's the split. And so... It's like a creepy way to describe a young person. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so, but, but because of this, a lot of people now are like... She's been bisexual? And the answer, I think, I is mean, yes. probably. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're pretty explicitly. I don't like, see why not. Like, when I read, like, the way Whitman wrote about men. Yeah. And then I read these sonnets. It's, like, yeah. very similar to me in a way that makes me think, I don't think he was just being, like, I am the young youth in love. Like, yeah, no, no, or like, no. Objectively, I can understand this concept. Yeah, it's not the same yeah, thing as no, like feeling. No. And it's, it, and I was tell. a lot of them. And the sonnets yeah. are also like dedicated to a man. <laughs> so, like, right. It's you not know, subtle. <laughs> there's not subtle. something there. They were um, just gal pals, though. Yeah, gal big pals. time. Big time. <laughs> um,. So our old friend, friend the bubonic plague, does come on back through London. <laughs> yeah, um, our old buddy. <laughs> our old buddy. So the London public playhouses were closed a ton during outbreaks of the plague. So like a total of over 60 months of closure between May of 1603 and February of 1610. Um, so work it's like was... too real now. It's yeah. too real now. Um, but work, so work was slow during that period. Um, and he also starts spending a lot less time in London, probably because of the plague. Like, he Shut has a home up. in a less populated area. Maybe he should go hang there. He has two homes there. Yeah, he, he sure does. He stay in either one. Um, he also starts writing less around, like, 1610. Um, and then after 1613, there are no more plays attributed to him. So those last two that he writes, um, with... Why can't I think of his name? Where is it? John Fletcher um, are the last two that are accredited to him. Um, So like retirement wasn't really a thing then, but he was definitely making enough money that he could 
could basically retire at this point. He could point. stop whenever he wanted. Yeah, he he yeah. he slows way down at this point. Um on June 29th, 1613, the Globe Theater catches on fire yes. during a performance of Henry VIII. Uh so a theatrical cannon uh like misfires yes. and it catches a wooden beam on fire and then that catches the thatching the on fire. It's made out of wood. What are you saying? And thatch, to do? yeah. Um, it, it is rebuilt the next year, but I thought this was interesting. It's one of the rare occasions where we actually have a definite date of a performance right. of one of his shows. We yeah. know that that show was being performed the night that it caught on fire because we know the canon from the show is the reason that it caught on fire. Right. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, his daughter, Judith, is married in February of 1616. Um, and then this was such a weird little thing okay um so shakespeare signs his last will and testament on march 25th 1616 he didn't seem sick or anything like the start of the testament was saying like in being a very good health or something but he's in his 50s now so for the 1600s it's like time to start getting your your affairs in order anyway he writes his will the next day his new son-in-law thomas quincy or quinny sorry uh, was found guilty of fathering an illegitimate son by Margaret Wheeler, who had died during childbirth. Yikes. Yeah. What, I just thought that was so weird. Like, his daughter gets married. A month later, he signs his will. The next day, her new husband is found guilty of adultery. <laughs> yikes. 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 Big yikes. Um, And then... William Shakespeare dies on April 23rd, 1616, his 52nd birthday. So that's why most people, like, it it seems he was, like, recorded as having died at 52. And if he was baptized on the 26th, but he had already turned 52, it was, like, yeah, that was probably his birthday. So most people believe that he died on his birthday, which, by the way, I'm obsessed with that concept. I think that's the only way to go. Born this day, died this day. Born this day, died this day. I think that that's the way to do it. I find that so wild for um, a playwright in yeah. particular. Well, and then he was also, we'll get to this in, sec- in a second, buried where he was baptized. Right. Yes. That's right. Born and died on the same day, buried where he was baptized. It's so poetic. And it's like so poetic. middle end. It's, it's like he wrote it himself. Yeah. He was like, I think he was like buried the day he was baptized. Like what? That's wild. Um, there is no record of his official cause of death. We don't really know how he died. Um, I found this quote, which was interesting. Half a century later, John Ward, the vicar of Stratford, wrote in his notebook, Shakespeare, Drayton, and Ben Johnson had a merry meeting, and it seems drank too hard, for Shakespeare died of a fever there contracted. Um, so, you know, that was much later, but those were all people that he knew, um that he was friends with so it seems you know if that's the story it's pretty pretty likely um there are so many possibilities though because it's 1616 right yeah it could have been anything yeah could have really there there were no records leading up to it of any kind of underlying health condition doesn't mean it didn't exist um you know the fact that he did just have his will written three months before he died or a month before he died sorry yeah a month before he died seems like I don't know, maybe he was kind of sick. Like, we don't yeah. really know. Um to say. Yeah. But he is buried at the Holy Trinity Church in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is the same church he was baptized in. 
Um, he leaves in his will most of his estate to Susanna for her to give to her firstborn son, but then she never has any boys. Sure. <laughs> Which is typical. Um, so I think she ends up having, like, she just has most of the well, it's funds and whatever. in her possession until yeah. she has a boy, and then she doesn't have a boy, so then she gets to decide what to do with it, right? Yeah, and also Shakespeare was pretty close, like, he was closer with Susanna than he was with Judith, and he was pretty close with, his- with Susanna's husband also, Hmm. So, like, it, you know, it makes sense. Poor Judith. Poor Judith. Poor Judith. Um, in six, so this is, this is what I'm going to leave us on for Shakespeare. In 1623, two of Shakespeare's friends, John Hennings and Henry Codell, or Condell, publish the first folio, which is a printed collection of all but two of Shakespeare's plays, all but, like, the last two, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had said this before, some of his plays had been published individually completely incorrectly. Um, and there's no original manuscripts, but this was the first collection of all of his works. And because it was written by two of his close friends and fellow authors, it's believed to be pretty much the most accurate recording of them. Like, it seems right. like that is actually right. what the, the context like they maybe uh, had content of it, of it was. They yeah. had their own copies of yeah, it. Yeah, or something like that, like yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, they are the reason we still have Shakespeare now. Um, there, we, we would not have any of his works without the folio. So we wouldn't have the Lion King. We wouldn't have a lot. I we know. wouldn't have a lot. Without. But that's my favorite movie of all time. We wouldn't have yeah. it. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have, I don't know. We wouldn't have a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We, we wouldn't, wouldn't have, have West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. We wouldn't have West Side Story, which is one of my least favorites, but you know. It still is we a cultural have, moment. We wouldn't have Leo and Claire Danes as Romeo and Juliet. We so. wouldn't have Nomeo and Juliet. <laughs> you know, everyone's favorite Shakespeare, Shakespeare adaptation. Oh, that's funny. Oh, oh man. But yeah, that's well, you, Shakespeare. You said your favorite. I feel like I should say my favorite. Yeah, what's your favorite? Is, Hamlet is my mm-hmm. favorite Shakespeare work. I love Hamlet. I mean, hello, The Lion King's my favorite movie. It's based on Hamlet. I just, I've always loved it. It's always been my favorite. Mm-hmm. Even what's though your, it's pretty tough. What's your favorite, besides Lion King, what's your favorite adaptation of Hamlet? Ooh, that's a very good question. I have a favorite Hamlet. Did you say you have one? Sorry. I have a favorite Hamlet. Which one is it? It's the David Tennant one. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. Mostly because, because it, it, David's fantastic, but mostly because Patrick Stewart playing both the ghost of Hamlet's yeah. father and his uncle yeah, has changed right. the way that I read that play. That's my favorite. You're the idea that right. they're twins, oh, it's, it's a different story. It's a different it's story. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I would say, I'd say that one's probably mm-hmm. my favorite. You're right. And then my favorite Much Ado is, um, again, David Tennant David and Catherine Tennant Tate. And Catherine yeah, Tate. that's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> David Tennant also has my favorite Richard III. Any, you put David yeah. Tennant in any Shakespeare and I will hang. I will hang. Well, and, and also he's going to crush it. He's going to yeah. crush it every time. It's yeah. always going to be good. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> oh, man. For sure. But that, that's Shakespeare. Um, so it has been, I mean, probably a calendar year at this point um, since we've done an autofill. You mentioned it to me today, and I was like, I completely forgot we used to do that. Yeah, but Shakespeare feels like such a fun one to do it with. I agree. I um, agree. So I'm going to do a Google autofill. If you if it, if it you haven't listened to us for very long and you don't know what this is, um, we just type in, like, was or is or has or something like that, and then the name of the person and see what Google wants to know about them. So let's do was William Shakespeare. 
All right. Um, was William Shakespeare real? <laughs> nope, made up. Nope, fictional character. <laughs> um, he was in that one episode of Doctor Who, and that's it. <laughs> that was fake. Yeah, and that was they all made fake. up that whole story. They didn't for the sake of the show. Um, was William Shakespeare married? Yes. Yes. Was he a poet? Also, yes. Yeah. Um, was he rich? Also, yes. Yeah. Um, I think people find that surprising. Yes. Well, because we're so used to a starving artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it's the Elizabethan era. It's not like people got, not that that many people got super rich. Yeah. Right? Well, you've, it's, you know. You've sort of answered the next question for us okay. with that comment, which was, was William Shakespeare in the Renaissance? <laughs> well. Um, and there's also a Renaissance writer in here, so. Okay. Mostly, mostly I think what I'm hearing is we don't know what the Renaissance is. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Was he a Renaissance man? Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, was he a good person? Who knows? Who knows? Who's um, to say? We know nothing about him. Yeah. I would guess no, based on the time. Oh no, and, and a lot of the like rumors of his personality was that he was like a real player and like sure. um, mostly drunk and you know all I, that. Kind I'm just of stuff. thinking in historical context. There's no possible way he was what we would consider a good person. <laughs> no, no. So <laughs> um, was he British? Yes. Yeah. Was he knighted? I don't think so. No, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, this one's interesting. Illiterate. Uh, uh, no. Have you read what he wrote? <laughs> My, okay, better question. Again, it's like we're we're not understanding definitions of words here. Do, do you know what illiterate means? Yeah. He could write, so no. <laughs> okay, I typed in is William Shakespeare, and a lot of them are the same, But I, so I'm going to pick my favorites of the the different okay. ones. Okay. Um, I have both is William Shakespeare still alive and no, no, alive. No, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so my man was born in the 1500s, so it, it would be... Really, really buck wild if he was still alive. I have terrible news for you if this is a question that you're asking. Yeah, no, no. My my man's been dead for a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, is William Shakespeare his real name? <laughs> if that is your real, real name. name. Um, I have both is William Shakespeare King James and also Francis Bacon. Okay. Now, I get asking if he was Francis Bacon. because I there is don't understand where the King James came from. Yeah. I First of all, okay, again, it's like, I don't think you know anything about King James. If you think he was spending his time writing these plays, yeah, right. Yeah, right. No possible way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last one I'll leave us on is, um, is William Shakespeare Italian. Oh, beautiful. Mamma mia, he is not. (laughs) No, he was so British. Because we already answered that question. Yes, we did. We did indeed. We did indeed. Oh my gosh, that was a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. That was fun. Well, history is great, but (laughs) today is good too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? Welcome to Modern Times. It's a segment of the podcast where we talk about the things we like about the here and now. And it's two segments today. Oh my God, a two in one. (laughs) Now this one we have done more recently and generally do more often. But not as much as we would like because we still, I'm always like, I can't remember what I've done. 
Yeah. So yes. Same. Now today we have certainly know, doubled up before. Yeah. Today's I know I have not talked about before. I'm pretty sure I also have not talked about mine before. Well, would you like to go first, or would you like me? Sure. To go first? Sure, I could go. Okay. I wonder if you. I wonder if you could guess what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just looked around my living room and picked something. Okay. Oh no. Okay. I don't. I don't know. Go ahead. Legos. Ah. I. Okay. Love. Legos. Are you sure you haven't done this one before? I don't think so. I don't think we I don't think we have done a modern time since I got deep into Legos. That doesn't mean you haven't talked about them before. That's entirely possible. I (laughs) have been very into like those big adult Lego sets. Like Mm -hmm. making full flower arrangements and the entirety of Starry Night, you know? Um Mm -hmm. I love them. They're just 3D puzzles. Um, but because they're so complex, they have, um, instructions, very specific instructions. Right. And it's just really, it's like building furniture, but fun. But also (laughs) I like building furniture. But like, it's building furniture, but like little and for art. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that about Legos. I know somebody who just finished the, um, Millennium Falcon. Mm. I'm like, almost halfway through Starry Night. The Starry Night is huge. (laughs) Yeah. I really like the flower, the floral ones. Though. I love my flower I'm thinking about getting some of those three. for my new apartment when I, I have move. three of them. I have a bonsai and an orchid and just a flower bouquet. Yeah. And there are like cool. two more. I really want them. Lego is amazing. Like as a whole enterprise, like yeah. it, everything they do is so interesting. Like they've got all those... Um, what are they called? The ones that teach you how to build like... Technics. And, yes, Technics. Those are amazing. I know. And the sets that they create are so meticulous, like they're perfect. And they're so detailed like, and the the, the clever ways they use to solve problems are really yeah. smart. Like, yeah. Aesthetically, it's so, like, Lego is perfection to me. Yeah, I agree. You know? Oh, it's so great. That's a I really good Lego. one. Thank you. My, <laughs> mine is weird in comparison. Great. Um, facial mists or sprays. <laughs> I know that they're a waste of money. Okay. I understand that logically. I know it's probably not doing anything for me, but I love them. Mm-hmm. I love just to mist a little something that smells nice on my face. My skin is so dry. So I, it just feels good. And if, if like I've been out in the sun for some reason, though I'm not usually because I hate being out in the sun, mm-hmm. but if I am uh, just a little mist on, oh, it's the best. I just got one from our good old buddy Trader Joe's, not a sponsor, although I wish. Uh, their new watermelon one. Ooh. And you know I love watermelon. And you, so. and I know you love Trader Joe's watermelon specifically. Yeah, I sure do. Oh, man. It's, oh, they're the best. I Yeah, I bought it when I was with um, our mom. I was like, I'm going to try it. <laughs> she was like, okay. <laughs> So technically, she bought it for me. Actually, she. I find she picked I find this delightful, and usually we can like relate on whatever we're talking about. No relation here whatsoever. <laughs> you don't use these. I don't use no. them. I use one, and it's an after sun spray, and it is the only one that I do feel Clinique is one. is like actually 
does help me. It's like good for my skin after I have been, it helps hydrate my skin after I've been in the sun. It's the only one I use and it is spectacular. So that one got, is what kind of got me hooked. Yeah. I always liked them, but I didn't usually like keep them in my house. Mm -hmm. And then I ran out of that one and I was like, I got to find something else to put. I, you know, I could buy more of it, but I just, I hadn't done that yet. And I was like, Oh God, I'm going to try this other one. I love the after sun spray. I mm-hmm. love a facial mist. I love it. We used to keep one in our office that was like a calming one mm-hmm. so that when I worked in customer service, if we had like a particularly bad customer, we could like, we would like spray each other with it. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. Relax. Take a break. <laughs> That's funny. The best. I love it. So that was, that was modern times for me today. <laughs> Good. Excellent. <laughs> Not nearly as nice as yours. <laughs> Yours was like art, and mine was like something you waste your money on. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. I also waste my money on Lego. Yeah, but it's like, you know, Lego is cool and something you keep and look at and you display like art. Or could build again. Like you do it with your hands. And and like if kids are getting it, it's like teaching them how to build things. Like that has value. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like facial myths are just like... It's clearly a scam the beauty industry is running and I'm falling for. And you know what? I'm okay with it. You've just honestly. accepted your fate. I, I mean, a lot of things the beauty industry does are scams that I fall for. So, you know, whatever. And on that note. And on that note, that was a good episode. Yeah. Um, I, th- I told you we were just going to spend most of it just like just rambling about Shakespeare. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah got to provide some flavor yeah some opinion that's the podcast baby because we're not historians not not, not at all just like to geek out about history what indeed i'm like a half a step closer to becoming a historian though because i will actually be teaching history as a job that's true so i'm like getting there that's one of true. these days <laughs> one of us will be an historian and then this podcast won't work anymore <laughs> I know, because we'll be like, wow, we were wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> we just didn't talk about that in a way that made any sense whatsoever. Yeah. That's certainly possible. But you know what? It's just for fun. Yeah. Okay, so we're nearing August now. I don't think we're going to need to make any scheduling changes based on my move. But, but you we'll tell you Keep if we... It is all, That will also be roughly the same time that I will be starting school again. Um, yeah. So, like, if something comes up, we'll let you know. Keep an eye on the Twitter... Because that's where we'll let you know if the schedule is changing. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Follow us on Twitter if you want. Mm-hmm. We're at RTTPod. Um, if you want to give us some topic suggestions or if you have questions, comments, etc. We're getting ever closer to Halloween. So I know. Give us some topic suggestions. Spooky suggestions are spooky on the brain. Yeah. Um, you can email those to us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Um, And we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at The Real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woohoo! (laughs) No theme or particular topics for next time as of yet. Nope. I have no ideas. Nope. (laughs) None whatsoever. So we'll figure it out soon. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. Um, And until next time. Remember that time.